White Sox, White Sox, go, 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 go. Call your sons, call your daughters. Holy cow. You can't put it on the board. Yes. Yes. It's a perfect game. Right after, grand slam. A White Sox winner and a world championship. Jimenez, he's your hero tonight. Thanks, Cubs. The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know. Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox Podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello, and welcome back to Locked On Sox. My name is Herb Lawrence. You can follow me on Twitter at Ecknerwall. Lawrence spelled backwards, 2-3 on Twitter. Twi- Chris Tannehill is at Chris Tannehill. And the show is called Locked On Sox on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Go there and subscribe. You might be a winner of our prize pack. 312-566-8727 is the way you can leave us a voice message whenever you want to. It can even be about something else other than White Sox baseball. Just leave it. 312-566-8727, and it might be played here on Locked on Sox or go old school, LockedOnSox at gmail.com. Chris, hmm, wow, it's a hard day today. Man, real hard because the game was early and the results were shitty and the processes were fucked up. Yeah, well, I'm still stewing over this one. It's 9 o'clock Central Time on Wednesday night. This episode is going to post midnight uh, on Thursday morning. And this one I've really been stewing about for a while because it's it's really loaded. It's become quite the example of, of this season of White Sox baseball. You have an undermanned roster. Uh, with the manager not putting them in a position to succeed and just frustrating at, at bats and a close game. So I think that's the one takeaway here is it was a close game. And when the White Sox do lose this year, they're relatively close games for the most part. And I think that's a good sign because their starting pitching is going to keep them in it more often than not. Uh, we will get to your voicemails today. Uh, we got a few that came in right after that game ended in Cincinnati. Sox one to nothing losers, scratching out just two hits against the Reds pitching on Wednesday afternoon. But before we get started today, I'll let you guys know that we are brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app from the iOS App Store and find one of our Locker Room rooms for Locked On. Locker Room changing the way we talk sports. All right, so as I mentioned, Sox losers yesterday in Cincinnati, a tough one considering. You have one of the best offenses in baseball in in their bandbox of a ballpark, and you limit them to just one run over two days of action, and you only come away with a split here. The Sox just with two hits. Let's start with the positive today. Uh, my old pitching coach, Don Cooper, used to always uh, try to accentuate the positive. So we'll start with uh, Dallas Keuchel and the pitching staff today. Dallas Keuchel goes seven innings, giving up just the two hits. Three walks, but he was able to uh, escape the uh, trouble he got himself into. Just one strikeout uh, and uh, no runs across there for Dallas Keuchel. This was uh, another solid outing now for Dallas Keuchel, and he managed to avoid the one bad inning this time. Yeah, and the White Sox starting rotation is starting to look like the best rotation in baseball. This whole turn was great starts by these guys, and we know that Lucas is struggling a little bit, but... Think about Dallas Keuchel. Now, if you're going one through five, it's starters. He's probably our fifth, and he's got a below four ERA. This is the kind of pitcher I think Dallas Keuchel is going to be for the White Sox. Maybe not shutouts, but two, three runs, six innings, and give you a quality effort. This is more of the thing that I expected than the struggles of early season Dallas Keuchel. So 
kudos to the pitching staff, to Ethan Katz, to getting these guys to where they're at because they've been strong. The starting rotation, I have no complaints of this year. Absolutely, and a tip of the cap to Keuchel today, who even just you know only striking out one, but just doing Dallas Keuchel things, inducing weak contact, getting hitters to line that sinker into the ground and, and get the contact that he wants. It's really uh, an artistful display of, of pitching when he's out there and he's in in uh, at the top of his game. I, I'm still very nervous every time he's out there, um, you know, especially when you're striking out only one and walking three. But today, uh, especially he, in that ballpark too. Yeah, exactly. But that was just a, a hell of a job by Dallas Keigel today. Michael Kopech coming in after him, and I get the logic why Tony brought in Kopech here because after seven innings of Dallas, you figure Kopech's going to be able to give you two or three innings if you need some in extra innings. And Kopech was a little shaky today. Uh, he mm-hmm. walked four striking out four as well gives up just the one hit but he's able to uh, escape a little bit of a jam bases loaded jam uh, with some help from Liam Hendricks but uh, not the uh, typical Kopech outing that we have been accustomed to today not at all um, he didn't have it command of the fastball was lost but he knew he can have that premium velocity that he has and this is the days where you see the 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 toughness the fortitude of a pitcher when you don't have your premium stuff and you got to go out there just with guts and guile and try to get it close to where you want it to be and you still succeed. The four walks, that's part of it. He couldn't harness where he was throwing that ball. I was kind of surprised when Tony brought him out for the ninth inning. I was like, okay, you know, he was good in the eighth, but kind of shaky. You could see he didn't have it today. And I know that they're trying to stretch him out. So the reason for bringing him in in the eighth was to go for multiple innings. So I, and his spot wasn't coming up in the lineup for a long time. So I get that. But when he came back out, I was like, ah, you've, you noticed that he's not good. So why are we stretching him out? And we saw more of the same that in that second inning, eventually he had to be relieved by Liam Hendricks, but we'll get to the rest of that story. Um, but well, overall, about, yeah. I think Kopech is more, impressive in this outing than more of the other like when he has his premium stuff because that shows guts and guile that you got through those two uh one and two thirds uh innings i'll take you back to you know we were talking about Kopech while we we're in the studio today and you know we we're you know you had mentioned something about this was going to be uh a good test for him when he doesn't have his good stuff and i told you i don't know if i got to complete my thought because of things going on at work but basically i i hearken back to that start that Kopech had against the tigers i think it was his second or third career mlb start it may okay. have been his first win i don't remember did he get a uh, the win you know it rained in the first start right it so did, yeah. so yeah his first win I think was against the Detroit Tigers and it, you could tell his stuff was not as electric as it was as, as as it was when he debuted and I remember watching him that day thinking man this kid is wise beyond, beyond his years he knows how to pitch like he did not have his good stuff against the Tigers that day three years ago and that's how I knew that he was kind of a different cat and a special breed so I never really worried too much because he ultimately knows that he can trust his stuff and just blow it right by you if need be if he's not uh, locating the, the secondary stuff so that's why I typically don't worry about Kopech in, in that regard, but I was, it was still impressive to see him wiggle out of it without his best stuff, and that's what I'm looking forward to seeing when he's eventually
essentially a starter for the White Sox. And uh, the, the other side, Cincinnati, uh, Sonny Gray was a little bit more dominant today. Seven innings, two hits, no runs across, walked only two, but he struck out eight. Uh, was it more of a case, Herb, with Sonny Gray just being on top of his game and, and looking like vintage Oakland A's Sonny Gray, uh, or was it the White Sox bats not really uh, coming to play today? If I had to say it was more because the White Sox bats didn't come to play, because Sonny Gray before this, and he's been injured and early in April, not the pitcher that we have seen in Oakland and some of the time in uh, New York. So he had a bounce back year in 2019 and 2020 wasn't as good. So I think he's a pretty good pitcher. I would want it, the White Sox to acquire him in the offseason, but he's shown you that he's not this pitcher that he showed up today with the White Sox. It's not a big ballpark. And the White Sox had just come off a nice offensive onslaught the day before. So I expected some better premium on bats. You know, guys were swinging at balls that they've been swinging at all year long. Hose, it's not there yet. I thought, you know, yesterday's game was uh, encouraging, but no, he's not, it's not there yet. He's still swinging at that fastball that's like a foot off of a home plate and he's missing it or falling it off, where I think in the past he would crush those pitches and drive them to the right field uh, foul pole. But he's not there yet, and these bats weren't quality. Um, Yohan, I, even though he wasn't, uh, didn't get any hits. Only hits were by Tim and Magical, and Magical got the hit. Uh, I think what opposite field. This is uh, a Yohan at bats that I thought they they were quality, but you know sometimes you just come up over four. The strikeout was uh, not great, but Sonny was on his game. And so was that other, the reliever that came in. He was uh, more T filthy. TJ Anton. Antone was really good. Uh, it was appointment viewing, watching him square up against your mean off the bench. And that was a, mm. uh, a really good uh, sequ damn. sequence there. And uh, TJ just broke him off. Uh, with that breaking ball on the uh, on the inside edge there uh, to, at the knees, it was a really really a good sequence there. That if you if you love baseball, you love that right there. But uh, let's just get to it, man. Um, you know, White Sox offense just wasn't good today. Um, it, it, you need to be better. I do worry now about the lack of power production, and this team is only going to go as far as their home runs will take them. I believe, and I and I think possibly it could be. The weather could be just the injury factor. Guys are trying to press, do too much without Eloy and now Luis Roberts. So I don't know if that's part of it, but I, you know, I think also maybe that the the opposing pitching has the books on the White Sox. They're not giving them any high fastballs for them to drive over the fence. Lots of painting the corners, top top of the zone. You know, they're they're, they're you know, it, it seems like the, the the book is out on the White Sox now. They have to adjust, and I think for the most part. This year they have adjusted because they've been winning without the home run production. So that's you know I, you need to see those home run numbers improve a bit, uh, you know because it's it's not encouraging. You know this White Sox team is not designed to be a team that's supposed to be 26th in the league in home runs. It's just that they're not built to win that way. So I would hope to see that uh, you know improve and hopefully this weekend in Kansas City it takes its first step in the right direction. But let's get right to it. The offense was bad today, Herb. Lack of home run production hurting them. And these losses are narrow margin of victory of, of error losses, and that seems to be a common thread with the with all these White Sox losses. For the most part, is they're losing by slim margin, which generally is good. Like I said at the beginning, starting pitching is keeping them in the game. Um, Sox offense was bad, but I think their manager was bad as well. And we live in a world that's not just black and white. Um, life is filled with many shades of gray, and there's nuance 
in life and in baseball, and there could be multiple truths as well. So let's paint the picture for you guys who may have not seen the game if you're at work and you're wondering what all the hand-wringing is about and you don't want to go back and watch a one to nothing loss. So after Liam Hendricks gets Kopech out of the bases loaded jam in the ninth, the Sox had their golden opportunity to take the lead in the 10th. Um, but since Andrew Vaughn, who was in the pitcher spot, made the last out of the uh, ninth, Liam Hendricks was the, quote, free runner, you could call it, at second base that they grant you during extra innings because we all know that the coronavirus spreads um, through long, the length of baseball games. And the best way to combat coronavirus is to have a runner at second base. We know this. It's science. Uh, catch up by now. If you're a denier, uh, don't even listen anymore. Uh, so, um, you know, it didn't have to be that way where Liam Hendricks, the closer, uh, your your fifty seven fifty four million dollar man was was the man out there at second base. Um, there is a rule that states that you can use the preceding player in the lineup. In this case, it would have been Jose Abreu. So now you have your closer out there as the go ahead run in the top of the tenth inning uh, at second base. Yasmani walks he is, as he's one to do. But then uh, Leury Garcia grounds into a force out, leaving runners at first and third with with one away in the tenth. Okay, so uh, Billy Hamilton comes up, and I, I don't want to get into too much of, of this particular strategic decision because I saw you going back and forth with people on Twitter, and I had the thought as the game was happening, there's so many moving parts here, and I don't know who you would have subbed out. Maybe you could have had Mendick play right field and shifted Leary to center. You know, Mendick, I'm sure, has never played the outfield in his life, but, you know, stranger things have happened in a baseball game. But this particular thing happened, and this is not uh, – we can debate it this after the fact, but this is what happened with uh, Leary Garcia at first base and Liam Hendricks at third base with Billy Hamilton up at the dish with one away, top ten. Garcia's going to take off for second base. The throw down by Barnhart gets him. I don't know what we're doing. No idea. He's one of the best throwing catchers in all of baseball. I have no idea why you'd be trying to steal with a runner on third base, a pitcher who's not going to be on a double steal. Just feel that Larry Garcia must have thought because the infield was drawn in that he could beat the shortstop over there. And he was out by a good bunch. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'll never understand the stolen base thing, that's for sure. Um, because there's no way that the Cincinnati Reds would think that there'd be a double steal on with Liam Hendricks at third base. So Barnard just popped right up and fired a strike to second and had him easily. So there's a lot of confusion in my mind as what we just witnessed in the top of the 10th inning. I'm sure that there'll be a lot of questions what the thinking was sure. in that inning uh, for the coaching staff after the fact. But at this point, still got a game to win. That's, of course, Darren Jackson on ESPN 1000 with Connor McKnight doing a really nice job doing play-by-play there. So good to hear from you. Yeah. Um, DJ's always been a truth teller, and when he sees something that offends his baseball sensibilities, he will mention it, as will we. But before we get to that instance there with, with Leary Garcia trying to steal second base, um, did you know about that extra innings rule that allows the team to use the preceding hitter to assume the role uh, of the pitcher spot in in the extra innings, did you even know that rule existed? I didn't. Full disclosure, uh, I think it's important that we lay it out there, at least for me, that I did not know about that element of the rule uh, going into this game because we just don't see it a lot with an American League ballpark. It's not something that comes up ever. Did you know that rule existed? I did know that rule existed because uh, I watch a lot of Padres. You're Friar faithful, of course. It all comes back. Yeah, to that. and it's been you know it's came up a couple times. So you know I was like. I was questioning myself when that happened. I was like, 
I've seen this happen where they just sub out the pitcher and he could still pitch. What's happening? Is was I wrong? Is this is this a different thing? Maybe I imagined that in last year. I don't know. And then when it happened, when James asked that question, I was like, "Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> what are we doing? That is not good." That because set it up before everything. When Liam Hendricks came in, there was confusion on that because Tony was talking to the umpire, the home plate umpire, to do a double switch, and it looked like Jerry Naren summoned him back to the dugout to tell him something about, hey, you're shifting out this player and he might have to bat, he might have to run uh, Liam Hendricks in the 10th inning if he makes it out of this. And that seemed to be the discussion between him, Jerry Naren, and Miguel Cairo, who is the bench coach. And at the end, Tony says that, you know, that's what they wanted to do. And he didn't know that Liam could be substituted for he made that decision thinking even like, even if you don't know that rule, he made that decision to have his goddamn closer as a runner willingly. Like he was good for that. He knows he he could, he could have substituted somebody else out. You don't just have to take out the last runner. You don't have to just do the double switch with was Andrew Vaughn at that time. Right. You don't have to just do it with him. You could do it with Jose Abreu, the guy before. You wouldn't want to do that, but you can go as far as you want to. It's not as advantageous to you, but damn it, Tony. You willingly, willingly have your closer out there if he gets through this part. I know that you probably think the save or saving the game is more important, and if we get there, we get there, but damn it, you just had your center fielder lose most of the year because he has a torn ligament in his hip what are we doing this is ludicrous and when people talk about managers don't matter i say that they don't matter that much they matter when they make dumb decisions like that a little bit but i don't like the over exaggeration of socks twitter and everything when tony loses them a game and i'll put those in quotes so i'm just like furious at tony also guys but I'm going to be proportional to what really matters and scoring zero runs on two hits matters much more than what Tony did today. I'm pissed at him too, but let's put some proportionality out there. That is real. We'll hear from Tony LaRusso next after a quick timeout here on locked on white Sox. This episode of Locked on White Sox is brought to you by Locker Room. Welcome aboard, Locker Room. They're one of our new friends, new sponsors on the show. Locker Room is the live audio-only sports talk platform. It's free to download and to use. You can talk to other fans, athletes, and insiders all in real time. They're perfect if you're going to do a watch party, a debate, a post-game breakdown, or just maybe reacting to the big news of the day. I'm hoping Herb and I will get to get down with the Locker Room app during the regular season, and you guys can interact with us on there, and then maybe even we'll share some of our interactions right here on Locked On White Sox. So all you have to do is download the Locker Room app, and best of all, it's free in the iOS app store. All you do is create a profile, link it to your Twitter account, and then join your preferred league. And don't forget, folks, we want those takes spicy on the Locker Room app, okay? Download the Locker Room app in the iOS app store today. This episode of Locked on White Sox is brought to you by our friends at rockauto.com. 
You know, there's so many different makes and models of cars these days. It's become impossible for your traditional chain storefront to stock all those parts that your car's ever going to need. So why endure that process of going into the store and asking what you think are dumb questions and you wait for the person behind the counter to check their inventory on their computer and they only choose the brands that they happen to carry? Why would you do that when you have access to a vast catalog of auto parts at rockauto.com in your pocket it's right there on your phone silly you know there's a lot of reasons to maintain your automobile i know herb and i are thinking about hitting the road here we're making our road trip plans for pittsburgh in june and i know if i'm going to be driving i want to make sure my car is running in tip-top shape you know we're approaching a couple hundred thousand miles on that thing and you know i want to make sure herb and i are safe on the road to pittsburgh so whatever my car is going to need to keep me on the road longer i'm going to go to rockauto.com and get those parts. And I know by shopping at rockauto.com, those prices are gonna be reliably low, not just for me, not just for you, but for everybody, you see, because those chain stores, they charge different price tiers for do-it-yourselfers and professional mechanics, but not rockauto.com. Their prices are always reliably low. They've got everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. I think I'm gonna need some new air freshener before we hit the road here with our, whether it's your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks, and best of all, it's delivered right to your door. So go to rockauto.com now, see all the parts available for your car or truck, write the promo code locked on in their how'd you hear about us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. So here's a little brief excerpt from uh, Tony LaRusso's post-game press conference. I don't want to play the whole thing because you guys have probably all seen it, heard it already, but here's just a little brief uh, excerpt from it. Well, you know, I'll reread the, that situation I'm guessing you know the rules better. Now I know. And knowing's half the battle, G.I. Joe. So, you know, James Fegan had to call to attention the rules uh, for Tony LaRusso in the postgame close. Clearly, he did not know, obviously, or otherwise, Liam Hendricks probably would not have been out there. And, you know, I, I, the whole managers matter thing, we, we know that, you know, even, unless you're the White Sox in 1990 and Andy Hawkins is out there throwing a no-hitter, like you're not going to win many games by just two hits. We, we know that's true, but I, I think, you know, the, the White Sox and teams in baseball are allowed to have a bad offensive day here and there and still be able to be in a, in a position to win. I was there uh, when Jim Tomey beat the Cardinals. Uh, Sox one to nothing off one hit. It is allowed to happen uh, with, with only one run. But is I, that I'll, the one that almost <laughs> went over the shrubbery? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so... I, you know, it's a delicate, uh, you know, argument here because I, I do believe that Tony La Russa put the White Sox at a competitive disadvantage in that 10th inning there because even if you want to sit here and talk about the Billy Hamilton thing, which would have been a, a tough spot for the bench that, that he had to work with, but the decision there to run with Leori Garcia to me is is unfathomable because I get it. You want to play for multiple runs if you're the road team, but you can't get multiple runs until you get the first run. And the decision to send Leori there, I, I just don't understand it because you have Liam Hendricks on third base. He's they're not going to have any hesitation to throw down to second with, with your closer at third base. Like They're not going to be suspecting of any double steal type of situation. And I, I just don't get the thought process there. Like You have Billy Hamilton up, so you're not trying to stay out of a double play. Odds are he's going to beat out any, any ground ball that he hits on the infield. But he's not going to hit a sack fly, and I just don't understand the thought process there. To me, that was just one of the, the many things that put the Sox at a disadvantage in that very crucial inning. What did you make of that decision to send Leary in that spot? Idiotic. Like, there's no excuse for that. It doesn't make sense at all. 
Leary is fast enough to score on a double from first base. Leary is not fast enough to steal bases all the time. He's not a stolen base threat. He, he has speed, but he's not like a guy that you're like, okay, man, Leary's on the base. Let's steal a base. Like if Billy Hamilton's on there, it's like, yeah, steal the base. Kind of. I would kind of understand it more with Billy Hamilton than Larry Garcia. But I just don't know, like, if he's on second and third, what is the advantage right there for the White Sox, except for Lurie's in scoring position? Like, is Billy Hamilton's goal but to put the bat onto the ball? I don't think so. I think that move was not good, too, even though I argued the opposite on Twitter. I'm just saying Tony didn't have good options there. It was Billy Hamilton or the guy who struck out 11 times in the last five games in Adam Eaton, who they're trying to give rest to in this off day tomorrow, too. So and then it's Zach Collins, who's a catcher. So you have to have two guys go out. So Zach Collins comes in. That's your backup catcher. Then he has to leave the game because he can't play the outfield. Theoretically, I hope he can't. Yeah, like, like I've never seen him in in right field, and I've never seen I've never Danny seen Mendick Danny Mendick out there either. In right field either. <laughs> yeah. So that, this is there's choices. They're not better choices. They're just choices, and they might have worked out, and they might not have worked out. But we'll never know. I'm saying that Tony did a dumb thing by keeping or to, for sending Lori Garcia on that play. I don't want to see that again. And if you're going to have Billy Hamilton up there, the first thing I thought of, he can put the bat onto the ball and bunt the ball squeeze, and yeah. try to and try to get on himself or try to squeeze. Like he could, they could just do a thing where Billy Hamilton is just trying to hit, uh, bunt for a hit and get the bases loaded for the next person. I would have been smooth with that. And you know me, I'm good for bunts when they produce a run directly or when they're trying to get a hit. Otherwise, they're garbage. So. That was my thought process right there. Tony fucked up that big time. He's not a great manager, guys. I'm not saying that I love Tony La Russa. He's a terrible manager for whatever that was worth. He's bad in the clubhouse. You already see articles out there, people speaking already openly a month into the season about how much the clubhouse is split. So he's terrible for the job. But yeah. I don't think we're, we're proportionally giving him and whatever – the game I think is really lost on when we send our tweets out and when we speak on these airways. Yeah, you know, people just want to look for someone to blame, but I think they're they're right in in pinning a majority of this one on, on Tony. Like, I, do you think Tony put? Let, let's say let's define the manager's job as putting his team in the best possible position to succeed okay. day, day in and day out. Let's just define it as that. Do you think Tony put the Sox in a position to succeed in particular? In that that tenth inning scenario today, no, and okay. before that too, in the ninth inning too. Okay, so, I already explained about Larry uh, Liam Gar uh, Liam Hendricks. I don't want Liam Garcia either. He sounds like he could be a good player, but you know he'd suck if he was with the White Sox. Um, so you know, getting back to that Obreu thing, Obreu gives you at least a little bit of more of an option. Although he's not a burner out there, he is an experienced base runner, and you you would think maybe he would be able to execute a double steal, or you take a shot and have him try it out, and maybe you know a second baseman or shortstop airmails that ball back to the catcher, and you get a gift run because uh, Abreu is capable out there of sliding if necessary. 
necessary. Or you do the drag bunt situation, and Jose Breu is capable of sliding in, in, into home and trying to try to beat out a, a throwback to to the catcher. So you have options there, but you're not going to do any of those things with Liam Hendricks on third base. That much is clear. You know, unless there's a, a direct mandate, uh, Liam, I don't want you sliding. Head first, feet first, anything. Just run right through home plate, and if someone, if the catcher's trying to block you, don't engage. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, it's like I don't understand. Like, there's nothing good that could have come out of any uh, weak contact, which is all you're going to get from Billy Hamilton in that spot. So that's why it's a move that really hurts you, not knowing the rules. Um, so I would ask you this: so who, whose job do you think it is to make sure the coaching staff all knows the rules? I know this is not uh, supposed to be a, a gotcha answer because this could be a, a number of people, but Whose main responsibility on game day do you think it is to have the coaching staff know the rules? It's Tony LaRusso's job. That's 100% Tony LaRusso's job. If one thing a manager has to do is make sure his clubhouse is is nice and neat, I think, and one of his huge responsibilities is make sure that people are aware of the rules. So, yes, that's 100% on him specifically. Okay, I think uh, that that's true. I think also there there is some culpability with management there saying, hey – we're in a National League ballpark for the first time in 2021, I believe, right? So you're in, you're in, that, you're yeah. in National League ballpark for the first time. You know that we are playing by a slightly different set of rules, and I know these extra inning rules are clunky in the COVID era. And Tony, you haven't managed a, a, an extra inning game like this uh, in, in quite a long time. Actually, n- never. Yeah, yeah. You, you've never managed a game like this with these unique set of rules. So you would hope that someone would lay those rules out to him, be it Rick Hahn. But I don't think there's many conversations uh, with Rick Hahn and Tony before a game about lineups, about rules, mm-hmm. about any of those things, which is inherently problematic. Um, mm-hmm. You know. Um, so at what point we know that managers generally don't matter, and I'm even willing to agree with you there on, on that point. I think if you have a really, really good one, he'll get you a, a couple wins maybe. Um, but if you have a bad one, I think he can take away a couple wins. And we know this team is hurt right now. And if you're missing about, let's say conservatively, five wins with Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez not being in the lineup from this point on out, you're missing about five wins because those guys are not in your lineup, then you are operating the slimmest uh, margins for error. So when you talk about a quote-unquote bad manager, Tony La Russa is behaving like a bad manager who's cost his team, in my opinion, already. I think he cost them this game today. There's so many areas of gray here. We could all say that the, the offense didn't perform, and that's also true. But I think that there's these moves like this are, are, are moves that you should not have to endure with an experienced manager. So I think you can classify Tony as a bottom-tier manager. I think the game is passing him by. Um, I don't know if it's, if it's just arrogance or just ignorance or at the speed of everything. The new rules combined with the, the 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 state of the game changing. I don't know what it is, but it seems like he's in over his head here. So, I mean, do you think that the White Sox are at a tactical disadvantage for the most part with Tony Larusa as their manager compared against any given team that they're facing on any given night? Tactical disadvantage. Um, I think he's worse than other managers and whatever that means in game and out of the game. So, yeah, I guess so. Okay, so over 162 games, like you would think that would matter in the in the smallest of senses, couple wins, right? Could we find some common ground there? I mean, I don't think you can rectify. I mean, you can quantify that. It's weird. it's hard. It's, I get it. It is weird. Yeah, it's like, hard. Like as I say, they don't matter that much, and I don't think they matter that much. That's simple as that. I think they 
have disadvantages. There's things that they bring to the table, and this might be a cumulative effect. I And when I talk about wins and losses, I mean in-game, like when they're doing these strategy moves, where he's doing dumb moves like uh, stealing Lurie. Yes, it's not optimal, and so you're showing your team less than favorable results. But if that's – like if we're doing a little bit better, we're like – um, four to five and we're scoring runs and we should win this game, maybe then you can have a, a logical argument with me to say, okay, yes, they scored enough runs to win and Tony cost him that extra run to put him over the top. I can maybe go halfway with you, but they scored zero runs here. Mm-hmm. And I understand you say, hey, you have somebody better than Billy Hamilton out there. Maybe you score one run there. But still, scoring one run, problematic, especially in 10 innings. That's the problem, guys. Like, the process was fucked. Like, they didn't get enough hits. They didn't put enough together, walks, hits, and then driving in, guys. They were 0 for 6 today with uh, runners in scoring position. Over 2 for Lurie Garcia. Over 2 for over 3 for Hamilton. Over 1 for Mancata. And you can say, why did he play those guys? What are the other options? So, look a little further. Look up to the front office. If you want to lay some blame to what what's happening with the White Sox when they do lose these close games, I would give more blame to Rick Hahn, to Kenny Williams, and to Jerry Reinsdorf than I would give to Tony La Russa. So what 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 say you to uh, folks who uh, I mean, on Twitter and just in general who say maybe you're you're too stubborn in your approach into acknowledging this? Like I'm not saying it, but what what say yeah. you to people who say you're a bit stubborn in in, in this element of how you evaluate uh, wins and losses? Hello, my name's Herb Lawrence. It's good to meet you. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So For let the me. First time ever. So you know, these. I think these things matter because I think the well, players know. They know that ball don't lie in any sport. And when you have guys, not just against this loss against Cincinnati, because we know that that this lineup was problematic because of your bench situation, and you don't have Brian Goodwin here yet to help out, and Adam Eaton is basically unplayable. Uh, they were trying to give him the breather. So I, I just substitutions and lineups today, let's put that aside. But, you know, you, you go back to that game where in the Detroit doubleheader where you don't let Zach Collins or Andrew Vaughn uh, try to get in there and elevate a, a pitch when you just need one run. And this Jeff Passan piece comes out. Uh, the other day, and we've been teasing it all week, but I think now is a perfect opportunity to get to it. Uh, Jeff Passon says this on ESPN.com, One can forgive Tony La Russa for a difficult transition back to the dugout. He was away for 10 years, and yet at some point that excuse gets tired. And with some of La Russa's maneuvering, one can understand why the patience in some parts of the White Sox clubhouse is growing thin. Uh, this is where I think it matters now where you can't quantify this into wins and losses over an entire season. But now you have a White Sox clubhouse that's smart and they're confident in their abilities and they know that they're not being utilized to their fullest potential. And I don't know who this is. I'm not going to speculate on who this is. I, I did think it was telling uh, during last weekend's ball game where Lucas Giolito looked like he was basically pulling himself from that game. He got wild in his last hitter and then made several attempts to, to throw a pickoff to first base in order to buy time for the bullpen. But it didn't look like a move that was necessarily uh, initiated by Tony La Russa. So I'm not going to speculate who this is, but I think guys are starting to talk in that locker room and they see what we see that they have not necessarily the horses right now. They've got enough, no doubt. Like Tom Thibodeau used to say, we've got enough. We've got more than enough. Uh, but they, they have enough to win. But I think now you're starting to see 
this thing is is heading in the wrong direction as far as the morale, as far as the the chemistry in the clubhouse. Now we've seen guys rally in spite of a manager and we've seen clubhouses totally get dismantled because of bad leadership here so you know I, I don't know where this is going to end this year for the 2021 White Sox and Tony La Russa I, I you know I hope Rick Hahn can Tony proof the roster and get him some more help and get better options in there you can't make him play your first round picks if, if he thinks he, they can't play then that's what he thinks there's nothing we can do about it um so I just I worry where this is heading but what did you, you think when you saw that piece from Jeff Passan about already here this was before May this was around May 1st when that came out I think already that there's turmoil inside the White Sox clubhouse about Tony La Russa. yeah I mean when he got hired this was one of the things we worried about like he would change things in the clubhouse like that clubhouse was established by the players years before he got there and the chemistry is good and when you go out there and if you think and, you know, I have I have the ability to know that other people and a lot of other people don't think the way I think. And so they might think that managers matter a lot and some of those people might be in the dugout. And if they think that Tony's fucking up games and turning W's into L's on multiple occasions, they might be turning on him big time. Um, and to a man. I don't think anybody really hated or questioned Ricky Renteria when he was an established veteran in 2020. I don't remember any like, hey, man, this Renteria's shit or anybody whispering to anything. You know, you know, you hear stuff off the record all the time in our business, Tanny. So I don't know if, if you can correct me if you heard anything about him negatively in his, what, four years here as a White Sox manager. But to hear this or this early, it's real. Like. These people are dissatisfied, and that's a huge thing. He changed the 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 culture there, and that cannot be stood for. I know that Rickon can't fire him, and he won't quit like in season. So we probably have to weather this shit because I know Jerry Reinsdorf is a jerk, <laughs> and he doesn't have a, the courage to admit that he was wrong to bring him back, and he was wrong to try to wrong or right. So he's too stubborn to change that. And so we got to be here until Tony resigns in the offseason, hopefully uh, after a World Series championship, because the White Sox just overcome with talent. That, that's what I'm wishing for. Yeah, this guy is bad. He's terrible. That's what I thought would happen at the beginning of the season when everyone was still healthy. I thought there was more than enough talent. And I think they're sitting here three games above 500 going into this weekend series with all the bad things that have happened, all the managerial mistakes and the injuries. They're still sitting there. They're no longer in first place. Uh, the, the Royals are you know, doing their thing against the Indians pitching tonight. And I would love to know their secrets. And now I'm starting to be concerned about the Royals this weekend. But, you know, we're here we are and there's still three games over 500 with all these negative things happening and I, you know I, I do hope that they can bond together over this but I worry that the talent or you're taking the talent away slowly here now Luis Roberts gone and you have you know you don't have any real options yet to replace him so I, I worry about the effect that that's going to have over this because I thought they would, the talent would overwhelm the the lackluster managing and that was before we even knew what Tony's managing was going to look like or lack thereof I should say so it's it's a story that we're going to be following all year here on the show unfortunately unless the Sox play improves they got to start hitting the ball man uh, first and foremost like 
The starting pitching has been great. Keep that up. Next turn through the rotation, that sets the tone. Vince Scully used to say momentum is tomorrow's starting pitcher. That's always true in this game. And if the offense picks it up a little bit, starts hitting that ball out of the ballpark, I think that, you know, everyone will perform a little better. You know, no one, you know, Jose Abreu can stop putting so much pressure on himself, and I think they'll they'll be all right. But this manager thing, I don't know where this road ends here, but I don't think it's going to end in a resignation because now you're talking about inside of a month, you have three or four instances in a post game press conference where Tony is openly taking the blame for things, and it's not like. I'm a manager, and I don't, I, I'm trying to, to deflect blame from my players because he's also put it on the players, mm-hmm. um, as we saw in, the, in that loss last week where they, they, the offense didn't show up, and he says, well, the game was lost because uh, of, of no offense. But he's, So he's done the opposite of that where he's not trying to deflect from the players. He's taken ownership and said, yeah, I messed up. I don't know the rule there. That's lousy managing, all that stuff. So now inside of a month, that's happened three or four times already. And it's 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 going at a bad trajectory here. It's a, that that shouldn't happen this many times already in a baseball season. So I don't know how many times Jerry's going to allow it to happen. I don't think Tony really cares that it's happening because he feels like he's a made man, literally wearing his Hall of Fame ring every day. You know, I I just don't see this ending any other way other than the players having to to you know wrangle control away from him in terms of getting the wins undeniably themselves on the field because if you leave it up to chance uh, I think they know their manager is putting them at a disservice here uh, at least until they get some reinforcements here but uh, they, they have to go out there and and start by by taking two out of three from the Royals this weekend take a quick time out wrap things up and a preview tomorrow's show here on Locked on White Sox this episode of Locked on White Sox is brought to you by our new friends at Sports Trade. Have you guys heard about Sports Trade? Well, it's where fantasy sports meets the stock market. This is amazing. Sports Trade takes fantasy to the next level. It's like Robin Hood for fantasy sports. Their platform allows you to buy and sell shares in your favorite players just like real stocks. Finally, it's a fair and exciting way to cash in on your knowledge of sports, and they just added baseball to the platform. So check out Sports Trade today. Making money with Sports Trade is simple as player values rise and fall based on two factors. One, their statistical performance in each game as compared to their projected fantasy points of the game. The more points scored, the higher their value goes. Two, Good old supply and demand, baby. The more demand a player has, the higher their value goes. Starting to see how this works here a little bit? When you're ready to buy shares, you pick the penny stock in a rookie with huge upside or grab that blue chip vet who's always a solid performer. Instantly buy and sell as many shares in as many players as you like, just like the stock market. Then watch your players battle and your portfolio value rise. Simply go to sportstrade.com and watch the How It Works video and then sign up to get started. Sign up today at sportstrade.com and discover the fun and exciting and profitable new world of sports trading. Sports trade. This is truly the evolution of fantasy sports. You'll be amazed. Don't sit on the sidelines any longer. Get in the game at sportstrade.com. Locked on White Sox is brought to you today by Bet Online. They are the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football's in the rearview mirror, but the NBA and the NHL are in full swing, along with baseball. You can bet on baseball every night if you'd like at betonline.ag. As a matter of fact, they even have award show props, TV show props, and reality TV show prop bets for you to indulge in even when you're not watching sports. And best of all, the odds are updated in real time on almost anything you can imagine. Maybe you're like me and you don't like to bet on baseball. Maybe you follow the markets and you want to place a bet on how the Dow is going to perform. You can do that at betonline.ag. 
You can bet on the New York Lottery on BetOnline.ag. They've got everything, even pro wrestling. Monday Night Raw has prop bets at BetOnline.ag. They've got you covered on all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best place to sign up to place your bets. And best of all, friends, it's free to sign up. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts, and don't forget our promo code when you sign up. Our promo code is locked on. That's locked on for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit at Bet Online. Tomorrow's show, we're going to talk about the minor league season opening up with the off day today for the White Sox. No game to break down to post tomorrow. So we'll talk to James Fox of Future Sox about the uh, minor league season opening, and maybe there's some more reinforcements down at the lower levels that can come help. Um, you know, they're already seeing some hot starts early. Rutherford? Yeah, Blake Rutherford, you know, is already off to a good start. So uh, Gavin Sheets hit a home run uh, the, other, the other day. So, you know, you, you may see some of these young guys all of a sudden they say, hey, I, I want to have my say in this, or at least Might I well. want I want to get myself traded. Um, so, yeah, that that's all I got, Herb. It's a, it's a frustrating show. And we certainly can't, you know, fix the White Sox problems here in 40 minutes. And you know, this but this was a bad loss that I've been dwelling on all, all night because it was such a winnable game. And you just know now, it, this feels it's so heavy the way this feels now because you know the margin for error is so slim with these injuries, and you know that a season can be lost by one game because all these games matter the most. And I, I think that the Sox should be grateful they are where they are in comparison to the rest of the division, but that doesn't mean that this loss was, was any easier to swallow. So, you know, hopefully the, the, the play gets tightened up and more runs get put on the board and, and the, the, the pitching holds the line, man, because the starting pitching has been awesome. So uh, we'll be back with James Fox tomorrow. Uh, that's all I got, Herb. I feel like a hypocrite. I'm talking about proportionality, and then we talk about this the most. Damn it. God damn it. Aha, I win. I knew I could get you with my with my slow drawn out logic. No, I don't I don't even know if we accomplished anything here tonight, but I did want to have a nuanced discussion. You know, I will never agree on how much a manager matters, and that's that's cool because like I may change my opinion on that because I'm pretty flexible with, with my opinions. I can be pretty easily swayed in a good way. Like I'm willing to listen to people's mm-hmm. arguments and since you cannot quantify it, we'll truly never know, so it's not worth beating my head against the table trying to argue with you because I you know we generally feel the same way about this stuff and I, you know mm-hmm. I, just t- today I just felt like they they didn't lose because of him but they you know they, they he did nothing to help the White Sox win uh, in Cincinnati I guess I'll put it like that so you know we'll we'll hopefully not have too many more of these discussions I, I'm frankly I'm, I'm sick of it because I'm sick of having Tony get in the way of what's uh, a good team uh, on the field, like I don't like having to have these discussions about the manager. It's it's not fun. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. I don't enjoy finding creative ways to talk about it because something when you when you can't quantify something and you can't prove something, it makes for a fun debate, sure. But ultimately, it's it, it's a road that leads to nowhere. And I think the players will have their say on whether or not Tony is the, the right manager for them. Either there's going to be a mutiny <laughs> with this thing, or they're or yeah, yeah, or they're going to just say, you know what, let's go out and win in spite of them. So which one will it be? We've got uh, how many games? <laughs> how many games left here? We got 100. The 29th. Uh, okay, hundred twenty. So, damn it! I'm the math guy too. Fuck, oh, you're fired. Know. You're fired. Jay Crowley. How many games are there left? There's no way to know. <laughs> um, but. <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, that that that's all that's all I got. And it's probably really easy, man. I I just can't do it. I, there's no there's no way to look up their record. Let's just say 120 at this point. So uh, we got 120 more of these, and hopefully we don't have too many of these managers matter discussions because I don't find it particularly enjoyable. Because uh, yeah, I, I'm not that uh, smart, and you're hard headed, so that makes for a, a very bad argument, generally speaking. So we try to have the best conversation we can, and I always appreciate conversating with you. So that's all I got. And sorry to the voicemailers, but you guys brought up the same things that we're talking about. So it it's weird for us to get into a topic and then play a voicemail of you asking the same questions that I'm going to ask to Herb. So they're good voicemails, and they're right on time, but I apologize. Uh, try to get those in as the game's occurring so we can kind of – play those things and you know because you guys know what the talking points will be when the game's over so uh but we appreciate you guys checking in paul correct checked in really late after that game All that, last night <laughs> yeah two nights ago right yeah, yeah we had already we had already taped and by the time paul corrects rolling in, and i know he rolls in late because he's out at the bar uh you know attending bar so we appreciate everyone checking in on the voicemails we will get to you uh yeah. one of these days <laughs> don't stop please you guys finally are, are doing what we asked you to get voicemails in and now we're not getting to them so that's on us we're uh you know, bad podcasters, and that's quantifiable because we get to zero percent of your voicemails this week. I think so. No, we yeah, got to and, one last night, so that's fine. And, and Apple's fucking up our uh, things. Yeah, it's a weird, it's weird time for all of us. We're all adjusting. So that's all I got for the third time. I think as we close. So <laughs> it's three one two five six six eight seven two seven is the number you want to call for those voicemails. Just leave many time. We'll play them usually. So lockdownsocks at gmail is the way you can send us an email for Mailbag Monday. How about this? Is, if you got a question up? for James Fox, oh yeah, hit up the voicemail. If you have a particular question for James Fox of Future Sox about the Sox minor leagues, player personnel, anything else that goes on down there, guys who may be called up, ask it on the voicemail, and we'll play those voicemails for James Fox so you can hear your voice on the show, and we can have a kind of a more interactive vibe. So 312-566-8727 to leave a, a message for James Fox, which we'll play on the show tomorrow. <laughs> Hey, hey, Gabe, this is, uh, this is Trent from Segwitch. Segwitch? Uh, Segwitch. Uh, Trey Mikoselski. He's still a team. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, I love Segwitch. Thank you, Segwitch, for, uh, for for checking in. I always appreciate you. I Maybe I'll have a beef Segwitch tomorrow. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what we're expecting. That uh, Hey, uh, when's, in, uh, when's this uh, uh, Keenan Walker going to finally come up? Greg Walker's kid. Uh, you know, so... <laughs> Yeah, well, we're looking forward to that with tomorrow. So get those voicemails in early and often, all right? At Chris Tannehill is where you follow Chris Tannehill. Me, Ecknerwall23, or Herb Lawrence. The show is Locked on Socks, Instagram, Twitter, and on YouTube. Go there and subscribe. So for Chris Tannehill, my name is Herb Lawrence. Thank you for joining us on this spirited, debated, and terrible loss. Locked on White Socks. <laughs> <laughs>